If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Judges. And if you need a Bible, we'd be glad to hand you a Bible. Some of our guys are walking down the aisle now. Just raise your hand. And uh, let's just give a, a warm thank you for the biscuits, right? Anybody excited about biscuits? It's a lot of people here first service. Uh, I thank you for being here to uh, celebrate this 15-year uh, anniversary with us as a church. It's so fun to be here. If we run out of biscuits, I guess we'll go to peanut butter and jelly a little later if we have to. Uh, we hope that there are plenty, and uh, I'm thankful for the Peluso family that organizes that every year and gets the biscuits here, so let's thank them. Uh, but happy anniversary. Uh, it is a, it's a fun time for me to kind of think back and look over and remember some of the things that have happened here. I do want to mention, you may have noticed that Aaron is here, uh, our worship leader, but he's not here. Did you notice that? Uh, Aaron and his wife, Kara, are due with their second child Friday. I think it was Friday. And um, so far that hasn't happened. Um, I blame Aaron. Um, <laughs> not sure what he's doing wrong, but uh, anyway, I know that I know that they're excited to uh, welcome this new baby, and we're praying for them, but that's kind of why it looked a little different up here. But man, our worship team, Aaron, sorry, but why don't you just take a couple weeks off, Aaron? Um, I, think, I think we're going to be all right, you know? Uh, but it is good to be here and to look back as we celebrate uh, 15 years together. Um, let me preface, uh, I, I want to do a little bit of reflecting before we kind of get into the message, and it's sort of part of the message today. Let me just preface this by saying that all of the things we talk about concerning Two Rivers or me or the staff or the leadership here, everything that we've done in the last 15 years is really not about us, right? I mean, that's the focus every time we come together, every time we gather as a church, every time we reach out in the community or send money overseas. It's really not about us. It's really about Jesus, and so as we reflect a little bit today, uh, I want to keep that in mind. The reason this church exists, our mission to love God, love each other, love the world, uh, our, our roles here, whether you're the preacher or someone who's involved in the coffee or children's ministry, everything that we do, our staff, our volunteers, it's really about pointing people to Jesus. And that's what we've been about since uh, day one, and that's what we're always going to be about. But having said that, sometimes on days like this, it's good to look back for a minute. I actually think it's healthy and biblical for us to do so. So let me give you, um, let me give you 10 maybe lesser-known facts about Two Rivers Church over the years. Is that fair as we get started? Kind of, a, kind of a fun thing looking back. Number one, I don't know if everybody knows this, but we have never actually passed an offering plate in our church ever since the history of the church. Uh, we decided early on that we weren't going to make it about money. Uh, let me just be clear. We only exist because of your generosity. But, you know, where Paul says, don't give under compulsion, uh, impulsion, don't give under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful heart. We just said, you know what, let's take that literal. When people want to give, they'll find out what it looks like to give, and we'll do it. And guess what? We're still here. And uh, God has been generous through you. So thank you for that. Um, Including that, in 2022, kind of in that same vein, our largest missions giving, we give um, baseline 10% of all of our general fund giving goes to missions, which means doing something outside of ourselves, whether it's here in our local community, our region, uh, or all over the world. And in 2022, it was our largest giving uh, year in history. We gave over $100,000 to missions in 2022. And that was, uh, that was pretty cool. And just to put that in perspective, in 15 years, including uh, some money that we raised as a part of hurricane relief, we've given over a million dollars to things outside of ourselves here as a church. So thank you for your generosity. 
Here's another lesser-known fact that I think everybody here will be very excited to hear about. Um, I have owned seven vehicles in the 15 years that uh, I've been the preacher here. I had a, uh, when we moved here, I had an old 1990-something Civic. I got a Jeep Cherokee when we moved here. Uh, not long after that, uh, somebody gave me a Chevy truck that I uh, wrecked. Uh, and then uh, I had a Forerunner, uh, an old Forerunner, a, a, a Toyota Tundra. Uh, then I had a 95 Jeep Wrangler. And then my favorite was this Toyota Tacoma. It looks like a paper cup. Remember the graphic on the old paper cups? Um, that one I, I wore out, and, uh, and I finally got a little better Tacoma that I drive today. But seven vehicles, I think that's pretty strong. I mean, I don't know if anybody can really kind of match that. Uh, if you can, let me, I want to talk to you later. Um, we've had 250-plus people in 15 years come to know Christ and be baptized into Christ. And that's something... 250. I was going to show the video, but we showed it earlier, and I'm um, just excited for all, everyone. I mean, th this one happened a couple weeks ago. We had two more we didn't have the video for. We'll show next week that we'll show, uh, uh, that we'll show, that were last week that we'll show next week. Um, and it's, uh, it's just, really, that's what it's about, pointing people to Jesus, helping them find their way back home and into, uh, and into God's presence. Uh, another one, here's number five. Every year we have funded at least one clean water well to be built in Kenya. Uh, the first, uh, first year, we kind of looked for a project. Um, this is me in Kenya in 2010. Uh, that's one of the wells that we helped fund over there in the Turkana region. But every year we decided, uh, the first year we were such a small little um, fledgling organization or church and body of Christ, and, and we said, let's do something outside of ourselves. And we scraped together $2,500, sent it to Kenya. And it funded a well. The next year, a few of us went to Kenya to see the work that they've been doing. And every year um, since then, we have funded at least one well. Uh, let me just go ahead and announce, we've decided, yesterday in our elders meeting, we decided that this year for our Easter offering, uh, we're going to see how many wells we can build again in Kenya. So multiple wells, we would like to do an Easter offering to do that this year. So uh, it's a very, very cool thing that we've been able to do. Uh, number six, um, I think we put this on Facebook a few weeks ago. We've been a partner in helping start seven new churches in our region since we started. Um, that's, a, that's a big part of who we are. Um, when we started, there was a little church planting organization that helped us start, and they helped fund what we did here. And we've been a part of helping with some other churches in the region. We've been a part of helping start seven other churches. We're actually the largest supporting church of that organization now, um, just out of you know, gener uh, out of our gratitude, we want to be generous and we want to see other churches start in our region. Um, number seven, our largest one-day attendance, maybe until today, um, our largest one-day attendance was this past Christmas Eve Sunday. Remember that? We had two services in the morning, two services at night. We had 1,055. And I, I'm thinking that... Um, we may exceed that this Easter, just based on kind of the trend of where we're heading. So let me just go ahead and announce we're going to have four services on Easter Sunday. Uh, one's going to be kind of a sunrise service. Uh, so if you want to come early, it, we'll have everything during that service. Uh, it'll be a little bit different. We may do it outside if, if the weather's nice. Um, but that'll be at 7 a.m. And then we'll have three of our regular services in this room at 830 10 o'clock and 11.30. So go ahead and mark your calendar. And also think about who you might invite to Easter this year at Two Rivers. We would love to, uh, we would love to meet your friends. Um, number eight, lesser known fact, we, we met in four different locations in the first four years that we were a church. 
uh, the last of which was this location. We've been here for just about 10 years. And uh, as you can tell, we're running out of children's space and we're running out of parking, we're running out of space in here. And we're working on a plan that we hope will start soon, very soon, um, to build. Do we have a picture of, I think there's a, we're back in Judges. Yep. Um, there's a picture of, the, of what it's going to look like uh, for when we move into uh, that uh, building in uh, a little while. It's not going to look like that. That's, that's obviously um, somewhere in a desert, you know. Anyway, we'll get to it. Um, in number nine, we launched our first semester of small groups in the spring of 2009, that very first year. And small groups has been a core part of who we are as a church. Uh, loving God, then loving each other, learning how to love each other in small groups and doing life together. Uh, and then number 10, I've, I say this just about every uh, anniversary Sunday, but uh, I prayed that it would rain on that first Sunday on our grand opening so that we could meet people in the parking lot with umbrellas and, and serve the people as they got out of their cars. And somehow God took that little, it rains just about every week now, uh, every Sunday. I thought it was going to rain today, but it didn't. But um, we still do that. We still have volunteers that go out and meet people in the parking lot when it does rain. But there's so many things. It's, it's great to look back. So many things, though, that can't be measured, right? The relationships that have formed here, uh, the changed lives that I see in so many of your faces, the, the leaders that have grown and, and um, become part of leading this church, our volunteers. Um, you know, I think back over some of the funerals we've had here and how we've touched people's lives at a difficult time, some of the weddings uh, that we've been a part of, babies born and, um, and, and all these celebrating these new births, just doing life together. It's just been such a blessing uh, for me and for our family um, to be a part of this church family, and I'm thankful to be here. I do think there are times in our lives when it's good to look back. Uh, it's a healthy thing. Uh, King David wrote, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. And if you think about the context of this study that we're in currently, the book of Judges is a reflection, a looking back, right? Most scholars believe that the prophet Samuel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, compiled this part of Israel's history after the fact. In other words, he didn't live. He wasn't a contemporary of the judges. He lived after this happened. But he was, he was the, uh, God's prophet during the time of Sam, uh, Saul and David and the early kings of Israel. He anointed Saul. He anointed David to be the kings over Israel. So Samuel looks back and records this missing part, this time between uh, sort of Joshua and then the kings. And he records this missing part of Israel's history. Last week, we introduced this book and this study uh, in Judges and talked about the redemption cycle. You're going to see this pattern throughout Israel's history during this time period. Israel goes its own way. God turns them over to their enemies. Israel repents, and God raises up a judge to bring them back to himself. Let's jump back into the book of Judges this morning in chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Judges 2, verse 20. It says, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestor and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. 
The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So God allowed some of these nations, these um, idolatrous, these pagan nations to remain. He didn't drive them out, the scripture says, all at once. As a matter of fact, each tribe, as they inherited the land, the different areas that God had allotted to each of the tribes of Israel, they would face the enemy that was in that portion of the land. Let's keep reading in, in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, These are the nations that the Lord left to test all the, those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not, previous, had, not had previous battle experience. So in the looking back, Samuel records that the Lord had left some of these nations in Canaan to test Israel. Don't you think God certainly could have driven them out, right? Uh, he, he could have uh, pushed them out in, in some form or fashion. He could have sent a fire or a flood or earthquake to move those rival nations out. It, it kind of like the, uh, remember in the Hunger Games, anybody know those movies? How the game master controlled different elements of the game and it would move, they would move competitors around the game uh, to places that they wanted them to go through fire or storms, or if you're a real fan, trackers, jackers, right? Remember that? So God had already demonstrated his power over nature as the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea and crossed the Jordan River on dry land. God had demonstrated his direct influence over Israel's enemies. For instance, the walls of Jericho fell, right, because of God's power. But God left some of the enemies so that Israel could learn, what does it say, the art of war and defend themselves. Keep reading verse 3. It says, The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites and Sidonites, Sidians and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their ancestors through Moses. So the text identifies the nations who were left to conquer. It also gives another reason why the enemy was left. Verse 4 says, to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands. So God wanted to see if Israel would be faithful. Look at verse 5. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Verse 6 is sort of a sobering verse, isn't it? Israel was not completely faithful. The Mosaic law had spe specifically forbid Israel from making treaties with and intermarrying with pagan nations like Canaan. Deuteronomy 7 is sort of a, is a text in, in the law. It says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. It wasn't so much about what nationality they were. It was about who they served and what gods they served. And God says very clearly in Deuteronomy and in other places in the law, don't do that. Don't get sucked into uh, intermarrying with and, and doing too much because then your sons and daughters and your grandchildren are going to follow their gods. God specifically says that Israel is not to follow the ways of those who live in Canaan. 
But Israel doesn't listen. And it leads to destruction. So the book of Judges allows Israel the opportunity to sort of look back and see some of their victories, but also their flaws. And they can see God's presence through all of this. Now, I want you to notice something in this passage. As the text looks back, maybe you picked up on this. Throughout Israel's history, we see three times in this passage where the text says that God tested Israel. So I want us to think about this idea of God testing, because I think God, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, right, uses the same tactics. He uses the same uh, ways to grow us and to move us and to shape us into who he wants us to be. So I want us to think about this idea of testing. Have you ever felt like God has tested you? You ever been in a trial? You ever had a difficult day and wonder what good could come out of this? And I, I want to kind of help us shape that. What, what can we take away from, besides biscuits today, but what can we take away from this text, which is sort of very specific to Israel, but it also has an application for us? Let me give you three things about testing. First of all, testing, I see in this passage, corrects bad behavior. Verse 21, uh, chapter 2, verse 21 says, God says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. See, sometimes God will allow certain trials or testing as a way to shape us into his vessel. The prophet Zechariah talked about this process of testing. It says, this third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. See, impurities can be removed from gold or by a process called smelting. Smelting involves heating the ore to a high temperature, usually around uh, 1,100 degrees Celsius to separate the gold from the impurities. The gold is then further refined to remove any of the remaining impurities. The, the high temperature separates the gold, the good stuff, from the impurities. The, the bad stuff sort of rises and can be extracted. And that's what Zachariah is talking about. The fire represents the testing that God puts his people through. And only through this refining process can all of the impurities in our lives be brought to the surface and done away with. Now, Pretty good chance none of us really want to go through the fire, but we do want the result, don't we? See, God sometimes uses testing to remove some of the impurities, right? He corrects our bad behavior and removes those things from us. But the result is a pure faith. We see this in Israel. God wanted Israel to test Israel to see what they were made of. Rick Warren uh, talks about two times in his life when God tested him. He said, for Two of the most important prayers I've ever prayed, God took 13 years to answer, and one of them 25 years for the other. But he answered. They were the most important prayers in my life at the time. Why did it take so long? Listen to this. Because while I was working on the prayer, God was working on me. He concludes this way. He says, God is going to test you before he blesses you. And that's true for us today. It was true in Israel, and it's true for us today. There will be times in your life when God allows you to be tested. Don't run from that. 
It's not fun. It's not what we want, but it could be God working some of the impurities out of your life. Maybe it's the refining fire that God uses to move you closer to him. So testing, first of all, I see, corrects bad behavior. Secondly, testing teaches good behavior. Look at verses 1 and 2. There are nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites. So one of the things that Israel needed was to learn the art of war, to protect themselves, right, to defend themselves. Again, God could have simply wiped out those nations. He could have removed them uh, from the promised land, but he left those nations, why? To teach them, to test them. Not, not just to teach Israel, but to teach each tribe. So by the time Joshua died, most of the tribes had inherited the land that was allotted to them, but not all. Some still had some work to do. God wanted all of Israel to know how to defend themselves, so he left some nations to test these tribes. C.S. Lewis in his novel or book, The Screwtape Letter, says this. It's really good. It says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point which means at the point of highest reality. See, when God is the most real to us, might be in those times of testing. Isn't that when we rely on God? Isn't that when we lean into him or we should? One of the benefits of this testing is it, it draws courage. And I can only imagine that as Israel and these tribes these um, were tested in battle, they gained courage. And it grew them. It taught them things. As the tribes of Judah and Simeon go off to fight, they learn what it looks like to have courage. Now they were battle-tested. When pushed to the testing point, we learn about courage. I've seen this play out in, in people's lives over the 15 years that we've been here in Newburn. When faced with difficult situations, I've seen people become stronger having been through it. I met Joyce Pym here at Two Rivers when her neighbors invited her to attend church with them, she had grown up Catholic and had some pretty bad experience in that faith tradition, but there was more than just church hurt in her past. She was also dealing with cancer. She told me when we first sat down and talked that she had overcome cancer, but it had resurfaced in her life. We talked about church and faith, and I had the honor of baptizing her into Christ a few years ago. A couple more years passed. She struggled with cancer. It got worse. But somehow Joyce faced it all with grace, peace, and courage. Why? She was battle-tested. Right? She had seen what it looked like. She had faced it down before, and now she had God helping her through it. I preached her funeral in 2020. She was, she was and is an example to me how to face life's trials. See, testing teaches us good behavior, doesn't it? Finally, testing is a barometer for growth. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, the Hivites, the living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to uh, Lebo Hamath, uh, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's 
commands which he had given to their ancestors through Moses. God regularly tests Israel to see if they will obey him, to see if they will grow more and more faith in him. A.W. Tozer said, God never uses anyone greatly until he has tested them deeply. Like that testing is what grows faith in us. And God will continue to uh, test you as he shapes you into a life of faith. So don't run from the trials. Don't run from the testing. And once you realize that God is faithful, you can face those trials in your life. Once you see God working, you know that he will work in future times. The other thing about these tests is that you, you learn from success and failure. Right? You learn in the, in the times when things are going well, when you're defeating your enemy. You also learn when you get knocked back. Matter of fact, both success and failure can be the test. Tim Keller said there are two tests as a Christian. When we get overwhelming prosperity and when we get overwhelming pain. These two things pull out the worst in us. And either we become wiser or we become more foolish as a result of these tests coming into our lives. But we learn from both. We learn from the good days. It's really hard even on the good days, and we learn from the bad days. Israel consistently would take two steps forward and at least one step back. And they learn from their failure as well as their success. But this testing is a barometer, right? We can see the growth that God brings to our lives. There's one more passage I don't think I can talk about trials and testing without mentioning today. It's from Jesus' brother in James chapter 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What, James? <laughs> I can understand that, you know, that God's maybe shaping me and refining me. I can understand that I, there are good times and bad and there's growth in this. And, uh, but do I have to be joyful? Is that what you're saying? That's taking it too far. Do I have to be happy and joyful about the testing? James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me give you real quick three ways, just the bullet points. Write these down. Think about these. How to find joy when we are tested. It's rooted in this idea, looking back. Right? When we look back, then we can see that God has been there the whole time. He's never left you. When we look back, we can see the growth that has come from the testing. We see those difficult times, and we see who we were before, and we see who we were after. And we see the victories. I can look back over the 15 years that we've been here, and I can see how God has refined me. He's corrected me. He's encouraged me. I've seen some victories. I've seen some defeats. I can see the same thing in our church family as we mature. We're not the same little brand-new church we were 15 years ago. Not just in size, but I just mean in maturity. We're a different group of people ready to take on bigger challenges as a church family, ready to reach out into our community and make a bigger difference, which has always been our goal, to be a church of consequence that people can run to when they are hurting and in need. 
a church that cares about the people around them. We're better equipped. I remember in 2011, we had a hurricane. I don't remember what it was called. Irene? Is that Irene? And uh, we took a group. We were, we were a couple years old as a church at the time, and we took a group of about 10 people out into Pamlico County. We worked for a day. We didn't have a home base to work from. We were still renting property. We didn't really have the resources. We didn't have a van. We just we went to somebody's house. We had 19 cars lined up in front of their house. You know, we didn't, we didn't even have a way to get there. And we did one day's worth of work. Fast forward to 2018. Another hurricane comes through here with even more, more damage in our community. And not only did we work, but we worked hard for at least six weeks right out of this building. We fed people. We sent people out. And beyond that, we raised money that went back into the community. We were a different church in 2018 than we were in 11. We were better prepared. We were more mature. We were ready to face whatever happened in our community and reach out and love people. That's who we want to be. And we don't recognize that unless we look back, right? Unless we look back and see that God has been with us this entire time. Even when things felt a little dicey early on, I always joke with my church planting and my, and my preacher friends, I always say, church planting, when you're in church planting, it always feels like the whole thing could fall apart in about two weeks. And there's a lot of truth in that, actually. And it felt like that for a long, a long time. Now I think we've got about three weeks. But through all of that testing, through all of those times, God's never left us. We see the growth that's come from testing, who we were back then. We're not the same church. We're more ready. Not all that God wants us to be. We're still going to be refined, and God's going to grow in us, and there's going to be tests ahead of us. But we're more ready to face those things and make a difference in our community today. And I see the victories I see the lives changed and the marriages changed and addictions conquered. 250 people now know Jesus and been baptized into Christ. That's what makes it all worth it. We would do it if nobody did because that's who we're called to be. But, man, we see the victories, and that encourages us to keep going, to maybe do more, to reach more people, to love more people, to make a bigger difference. I'm so thankful that we've been through a few battles together, that we see the victories. And we've learned from some of the mistakes we've made, but we see God moving, and I'm looking forward to the future. And for all of this, through it all, we've seen God grow in us as a church family. So many things have happened, so many victories. And for this, we simply thank God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for just the blessings of this life and how we get to um, learn and grow and be tested. And Lord, when those tests come in our lives, Lord, help us not to run from them. Lord, help us to find joy, knowing that that trial, that difficult time in our personal lives is growing in us perseverance and maturity and bringing us to a place that we can face even more in the future. And Lord, if it's true for us as individuals, it's also true for us as a, as a church. That whatever comes our way, Lord, we can face it not only with each other, but more importantly, Lord, because you've, you're here. Not only are you here, but you've been here. 
You are our God through all of this. And I'm just thankful, Lord, I get to deal with this group of people. I thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.